Shoes and Stockings, a collection of short stories by Louisa May Alcott. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carolyn Francis. Nellie's Hospital by Louisa May Alcott. Nellie sat beside her mother picking lint, but while her fingers flew, her eyes often looked wistfully out into the meadow, golden with buttercups and bright with sunshine. Presently she said, rather bashfully, but very earnestly, "Mamma, I want to tell you a little plan I've made, if you'll please not laugh. I think I can safely promise that, my dear." said her mother, putting down her work that she might listen quite respectfully. Nellie looked pleased, and went on confidingly. "'Since Brother Will came home, with his lame foot, and I've helped you tend him, I've heard a great deal about hospitals, and liked it very much. Today I said I wanted to go and be a nurse, like Aunt Mercy, but Will laughed.' and told me I'd better begin by nursing sick birds and butterflies and pussies before I try to take care of men. I did not like to be made fun of, but I've been thinking that it would be very pleasant to have a little hospital all my own and be a nurse in it, because, if I took pains, so many pretty creatures might be made well, perhaps. Could I, Mamma? Her mother wanted to smile at the idea, but did not, for Nellie looked up with her heart and eyes so full of tender compassion, both for the unknown men for whom her little hands had done their best, and for the smaller sufferers nearer home, that she stroked the shining head and answered readily, "'Yes, Nellie, it will be a proper charity for such a young Samaritan.' and you may learn much if you are in earnest. You must study how to feed and nurse your little patients, else your pity will do no good, and your hospital become a prison. I will help you, and Tony shall be your surgeon. Oh, Mama, how good you always are to me! Indeed, I am in truly earnest. I will learn, I will be kind, and may I go now and begin?' "'You may, but tell me first, where will you have your hospital?' "'In my room, Mamma. It is so snug and sunny, and I never should forget it there,' said Nellie. "'You must not forget it anywhere.' "'I think that plan will not do. How would you like to find caterpillars walking in your bed, to hear sick pussies mewing in the night?' to have beetles clinging to your clothes, or see mice, bugs, and birds tumbling downstairs whenever the door was open," said her mother. Nellie laughed at that thought a minute, then clapped her hands and cried, "'Let us have the old summer-house! My doves only use the upper part, and it would be so like Frank in the story-book. Please say yes again, Mamma." Her mother did say yes and snatching up her hat, Nellie ran to find Tony, the gardener's son, a pleasant lad of twelve, who was Nellie's favorite playmate. 
Tony pronounced the plan a jolly one, and, leaving his work, followed his young mistress to the summer-house, for she could not wait one minute. "'What must we do first? she asked, as they stood looking in at the dusty room, full of garden tools, bags of seeds, old flower-pots and watering-cans. "'Clear out the rubbish, miss,' answered Tony. "'Here it goes, then,' and Nellie began bundling everything out in such haste that she broke two flower-pots, scattered all the squash-seeds, and brought a pile of rakes and hoes clattering down about her ears. "'Just wait a bit and let me take the lead, miss. You hand me things. I'll pile em in the barrow and wheel em off to the barn. Then it will save time and be finished up tidy.' Nellie did as he advised, and very soon nothing but dust remained. "'What next?' she asked, not knowing in the least. "'I'll sweep up while you see if Polly can come and scrub the room out. It ought to be done before you stay here, let alone the patients.' "'So it had,' said Nellie, looking very wise all of a sudden. "'Will says the wards—' That means the rooms, Tony, are scrubbed every day or two and kept very clean and well venta something. I can't say it, but it means having a plenty of air come in. I can clean windows while Polly mops, and then we shall soon be done. Away she ran, feeling very busy and important. Polly came, and very soon the room looked like another place. The four latticed windows were set wide open, so the sunshine came dancing through the vines that grew outside, and curious roses peeped in to see what frolic was afoot. The walls shone white again, for not a spider dared to stay. The wide seat which encircled the room was dustless now, the floor as nice as willing hands could make it and the south wind blew away all musty odors with its fragrant breath. "'How fine it looks!' cried Nellie, dancing on the doorstep, lest a footprint should mar the still damp floor. "'I'd almost like to fall sick for the sake of staying here,' said Tony admiringly. "'Now what sort of beds are you going to have, miss?' I suppose it won't do to put butterflies and toads and worms into beds like the real soldiers where Will was, answered Nellie, looking anxious. Tony could hardly help shouting at the idea, but rather than trouble his little mistress, he said very soberly, I'm afraid they wouldn't lay easy, not being used to it. Tucking up a butterfly would about kill him. The worms would be apt to get lost among the bedclothes and the toads would tumble out the first thing. "'I shall have to ask Mamma about it. "'What will you do while I'm gone?' said Nellie, unwilling that a moment should be lost. "'I'll make frames for nettings to the windows, else the doves will come in and eat up the sick people. "'I think they will know that it is a hospital, and be too kind to hurt or frighten their neighbors,' began Nellie. But as she spoke, a plump white dove walked in, looked about with its red-ringed eyes, and quietly pecked up a tiny bug that had just ventured out from the crack where it had taken refuge when the deluge came. 
"'Yes, we must have nettings. I'll ask Mamma for some lace,' said Nellie, when she saw that, and, taking her pet dove on her shoulder, told it about her hospital as she went toward the house. For, loving all little creatures as she did, it grieved her to have any harm befall even the least or plainest of them. She had a sweet child fancy that her playmates understood her language as she did theirs, and that birds, flowers, animals, and insects felt for her the same affection which she felt for them. Love always makes friends, and nothing seemed to fear the gentle child, but welcomed her like a little son who shone alike on all, and never suffered an eclipse. She was gone some time, and when she came back her mind was full of new plans, one hand full of rushes, the other of books, while over her head floated the lace, and a bright green ribbon hung across her arm. Mama says that the best beds will be little baskets, boxes, cages, and any sort of thing that suits the patients, for each will need different care and food and medicine. I have not baskets enough, so as I cannot have pretty white beds, I am going to braid pretty green nests for my patients, and while I do it, Mama thought you'd read to me the pages she has marked, so that we may begin right. Yes, miss, I like that. But what is the ribbon for? asked Tony. Oh, that's for you. Will says that if you are to be an army surgeon, you must have a green band on your arm. So I got this to tie on when we play hospital. Tony let her decorate the sleeve of his gray jacket, and when the nettings were done, the welcome books were opened and enjoyed. It was a happy time, sitting in the sunshine with leaves pleasantly astir all about them, doves cooing overhead, and flowers sweetly gossiping together through the summer afternoon. Nellie wove her smooth green rushes, Tony poured over his pages, and both found something better than fairy legends in the family histories of insects, birds, and beasts. All manner of wonders appeared, and were explained to them, till Nellie felt as if a new world had been given her, so full of beauty, interest, and pleasure, that she never could be tired of studying it. Many of these things were not strange to Tony, because born among plants, he had grown up with them as if they were brothers and sisters, and the sturdy, brown-faced boy had learned many lessons which no poet or philosopher could have taught him, unless he had become as childlike as himself, and studied from the same great book. When the baskets were done, the marked pages all read, and the sun began to draw his rosy curtains round him before smiling good night. Nellie ranged the green beds round the room, Tony put in the screens, and the hospital was ready. The little nurse was so excited that she could hardly eat her supper, and directly afterwards ran up to tell Will how well she had succeeded with the first part of her enterprise. Now Brother Will was a brave young officer, who had fought stoutly and done his duty like a man. But when lying weak and wounded at home, 
the cheerful courage which had led him safely through many dangers seemed to have deserted him, and he was often gloomy, sad, or fretful, because he longed to be at his post again, and time passed very slowly. This troubled his mother, and made Nellie wonder why he found lying in a pleasant room so much harder than fighting battles or making weary marches. Anything that interested and amused him was very welcome, and when Nellie, climbing on the arm of his sofa, told her plans, mishaps, and successes, he laughed out more heartily than he had done for many a day, and his thin face began to twinkle with fun as it used to do so long ago. That pleased Nellie, and she chatted like any affectionate little magpie, till Will was really interested, for when one is ill, small things amuse. "'Do you expect your patients to come to you, Nellie?' he asked. "'No, I shall go and look for them. I often see poor things suffering in the garden and the wood, and always feel as if they ought to be taken care of, as people are.' You wouldn't like to carry insane bugs, lame toads, and convulsive kittens in your hands, and they would not stay on a stretcher if you had one. You should have an ambulance and be a branch of the sanitary commission, said Will. Nellie had often heard the words, but did not quite understand what they meant. So Will told her of that great, never-failing charity to which thousands owe their lives, and the child listened with lips apart, eyes often full, and so much love and admiration in her heart that she could find no words in which to tell it. When her brother paused, she said earnestly, "'Yes, I will be a sanitary. This little cart of mine shall be my ambulance, and I'll never let my water-barrels go empty, never drive too fast, or be rough with my poor passengers.' like some of the men you tell about. Does this look like an ambulance, Will? Not a bit, but it shall, if you and Mama like to help me. I want four long bits of cane, a square white cloth, some pieces of thin wood, and the gum pot, said Will, sitting up to examine the little cart, feeling like a boy again as he took out his knife and began to whittle. Upstairs and downstairs ran Nellie till all necessary materials were collected, and almost breathlessly she watched her brother arch the canes over the cart, cover them with the cloth, and fit an upper shelf of small compartments, each lined with cotton wool to serve as beds for wounded insects, lest they should hurt one another or jostle out. The lower part was left free for any larger creatures which Nellie might find. Among her toys, she had a tiny cask which only needed a peg to be watertight. This was filled and fitted in before, because as the small sufferers needed no seats, there was no place for it behind, and as Nellie was both horse and driver, it was more convenient in front. On each side of it stood a box of stores. In one were minute rollers, as bandages were called, a few bottles not yet filled, 
and a wee doll's jar of cold cream, because Nellie could not feel that her outfit was complete without a medicine chest. The other box was full of crumbs, bits of sugar, bird seed, and grains of wheat and corn, lest any famished stranger should die for want of food before she got it home. Then Mama painted U.S. Sancom in bright letters on the cover, and Nellie received her charitable plaything with a long sigh of satisfaction. Nine o'clock already! Bless me, what a short evening this has been! exclaimed Will, as Nellie came to give him her good night kiss. And such a happy one! she answered. Thank you very much, dear Will. I only wish my little ambulance was big enough for you to go in. I'd so like to give you the first ride. Nothing I should like better if it were possible, though I've a prejudice against ambulances in general. But as I cannot ride, I'll try and hop out to your hospital tomorrow and see how you get on. Which was a great deal for Captain Will to say, because he had been too listless to leave his sofa for several days. That promise sent Nellie happily away to bed, only stopping to pop her head out of the window to see if it was likely to be a fair day tomorrow, and to tell Tony about the new plan as he passed below. "'Where shall you go to look for your first load of sick folks, miss?' he asked. "'All round the garden first then through the grove and home across the brook. Do you think I can find any patients so? said Nellie. I know you will. Good night, miss. And Tony walked away with a merry look on his face that Nellie would not have understood if she had seen it. Up rose the sun bright and early, and up rose Nurse Nellie almost as early and as bright. Breakfast was taken in a great hurry, and before the dew was off the grass this branch of the S.C. was all astir. Papa, Mama, Big Brother and Baby Sister, men and maids, all looked out to see the funny little ambulance depart, and nowhere in all the summer fields was there a happier child than Nellie, as she went smiling down the garden path, where tall flowers kissed her as she passed, and every blithe bird seemed singing a good speed. "'How I wonder what I shall find first, she thought, looking sharply on all sides as she went. Crickets chirped, grasshoppers leaped, ants worked busily at their subterranean houses, spiders spun shining webs from twig to twig, bees were coming for their bags of gold, and butterflies had just begun their holiday.' A large white one, alighted on the top of the ambulance, walked over the inscription as if spelling it letter by letter, then floated away from flower to flower like one carrying the good news far and wide. Now everyone will know about the hospital and be glad to see me coming, thought Nellie. And indeed it seemed so, for just then a blackbird sitting on a garden wall burst out with a song full of musical joy. Nellie's kitten came running after to stare at the wagon and rub her soft side against it. A bright-eyed toad looked out from his cool bower among the lily leaves. 
and at that minute Nellie found her first patient. In one of the dewy cobwebs hanging from a shrub nearby sat a fat black and yellow spider watching a fly whose delicate wings were just caught in the net. The poor fly buzzed pitifully and struggled so hard that the whole web shook. But the more he struggled, the more he entangled himself, and the fierce spider was preparing to descend that it might weave a shroud about its prey, when a little finger broke the threads and lifted the fly safely into the palm of a hand, where he lay faintly humming his thanks. Nellie had heard much about contrabands, knew who they were, and was very much interested in them. So when she freed the poor black fly, she played he was her contraband, and felt glad that her first patient was one that needed help so much. Carefully brushing away as much of the web as she could, she left small Pompey, as she named him, to free his own legs, lest her clumsy fingers should hurt him. Then she laid him in one of the soft beds with a grain or two of sugar, if he needed refreshment, and bade him rest and recover from his fright, remembering that he was at liberty to fly away whenever he liked, because she had no wish to make a slave of him. Feeling very happy over this new friend, Nellie went on singing softly as she walked, and presently she found a pretty caterpillar dressed in brown fur. Although the day was warm, he lay so still she thought him dead, till he rolled himself into a ball as she touched him. "'I think you are either faint from the heat of this thick coat of yours, or that you are going to make a cocoon of yourself, Mr. Fuzz,' said Nellie. "'Now I want to see you turn into a butterfly, so I shall take you, and if you get lively again, I will let you go. I shall play that you have given out on a march, as the soldiers sometimes do, and been left behind for the sanitary people to see to. In went sulky Mr. Fuzz, and on trundled the ambulance, till a golden-green rose-beetle was discovered, laying on his back, kicking as if in a fit. "'Dear me, what shall I do for him?' thought Nellie. "'He acts as Baby did when she was so ill, and Mama put her in a warm bath. I haven't got my little tub here, or any hot water, and I'm afraid the beetle would not like it if I had. Perhaps he has pain in his stomach? I'll turn him over and pat his back as nurse does babies when she cries for pain like that. She set the beetle on his legs and did her best to comfort him, but he was evidently in great distress, for he could not walk and instead of lifting his emerald overcoat and spreading the wings that lay underneath, he turned over again and kicked more violently than before. Not knowing what to do, Nellie put him into one of her soft nests for Tony to cure if possible. She found no more patients in the garden except a dead bee, which she wrapped in a leaf and took home to bury. When she came to the grove, it was so green and cool she longed to sit and listen to the whisper of the pines and watch the larch tassels wave in the wind. But 
recollecting her charitable errand, she went rustling along the pleasant path till she came to another patient, over which she stood considering several minutes before she could decide whether it was best to take it to her hospital, because it was a little gray snake with bruised tail. She knew it would not hurt her, yet she was afraid of it. She thought it pretty, yet could not like it. She pitied its pain, yet shrunk from helping it, for it had a fiery eye and a keep quivering tongue that looked as if longing to bite. He is a rebel. I wonder if I ought to be good to him, thought Nellie, watching the reptile writhe with pain. Will said there were sick rebels in his hospital, and one was very kind to him. It says, too, in my little book, Love Your Enemies. I think snakes are mine, but I guess I'll try and love him because God made him. Some boy will kill him if I leave him here, and then perhaps his mother will be very sad about it. Come, poor worm, I wish to help you, so be patient and don't frighten me. Then Nellie laid her little handkerchief on the ground, and with a stick gently lifted the wounded snake upon it, and folding it together, laid it in the ambulance. She was thoughtful after that, and so busy puzzling her young head about the duty of loving those who hate us, and being kind to those who are disagreeable or unkind, that she went through the rest of the wood quite forgetful of her work. A soft, queek, queek, made her look up and listen. The sound came from the long meadow grass, and bending it carefully back, she found a half-fledged bird with one wing trailing on the ground, and its eyes dim with pain or hunger. "'You darling thing! Did you fall out of your nest and hurt your wing?' cried Nellie, looking up into the single tree that stood nearby. No nest was to be seen, no parent birds hovered overhead, and little Robin could only tell its troubles in that mournful, "'Queek! Queek! Queek!' Nellie ran to get both her chests, and sitting down beside the bird tried to feed it. To her joy it ate crumb after crumb, as if it were half-starved, and soon fluttered nearer a confiding fearlessness that made her very proud. Soon baby Robin seemed quite comfortable, his eye brightened, he queaked no more, and but for the drooping wing would have been himself again. With one of her bandages, Nellie bound both wings closely to his sides for fear he should hurt himself by trying to fly. And though he seemed amazed at her proceedings, he behaved very well, only staring at her and ruffling up his few feathers in a funny way that made her laugh. Then she had to discover some way of accommodating her two larger patients so that neither should hurt nor alarm the other. A bright thought came to her after much pondering. Carefully lifting the handkerchief, she pinned the two ends to the roof of the cart, and there swung little forked tongue, while Rob lay easily below. By this time Nellie began to wonder how it happened that she found so many more injured things than ever before. But it never entered her innocent head 
that Tony had searched the wood and meadow before she was up, and laid most of these creatures ready to her hands, that she might not be disappointed. She had not yet lost her faith in fairies, so she fancied they too belonged to her small sisterhood, and presently it did really seem impossible to doubt that the good folk had been at work. Coming to the bridge that crossed the brook, she stopped a moment to watch the water ripple over the bright pebbles, the ferns bend down to drink, and the funny tadpoles frolic in quieter nooks where the sun shone, and the dragonflies swung among the rushes. When Nellie turned to go on, her blue eyes opened wide, and the handle of the ambulance dropped with a noise that caused a stout frog to skip into the water heels overhead. Directly in the middle of the bridge was a pretty green tent, made of two tall burdock leaves. The stems were stuck into cracks between the boards, the tips were pinned together with a thorn, and one great buttercup nodded in the doorway like a sleepy sentinel. Nellie stared and smiled, listened, and looked about on every side. Nothing was seen but the quiet meadow and the shady grove. Nothing was heard but the babble of the brook and the cheery music of the bobolinks. "'Yes,' said Nellie softly to herself. "'That is a fairy tent, and in it I may find a baby elf sick with whooping cough or scarlet fever. How splendid it would be! Only I could never nurse such a dainty thing.' Stooping eagerly, she peeped over the buttercup's drowsy head and saw what seemed a tiny cock of hay. She had no time to feel disappointed, for the haycock began to stir, and looking nearer, she beheld two silvery-gray mites who wagged wee tails and stretched themselves as if they had just waked up. Nellie knew that they were young field mice, and rejoiced over them, feeling rather relieved that no fairy had appeared, though she still believed them to have had a hand in the matter. "'I shall call the mice my babes in the wood, because they are lost and covered up with leaves,' said Nellie, as she laid them in her snuggest bed, where they nestled close together and fell fast asleep again. Being very anxious to get home, that she might tell her adventures, and show how great was the need of a sanitary commission in that region, Nellie marched proudly up the avenue, and having displayed her load, hurried to the hospital, where another applicant was waiting for her. On the step of the door lay a large turtle, with one claw gone, and on his back was pasted a bit of paper with his name, Commodore Waddle. U.S.N. Nellie knew this was a joke of Will's, but welcomed the ancient mariner, and called Tony to help her get him in. All that morning they were very busy settling the newcomers, for both people and books had to be consulted before they could decide what diet and treatment was best for each. The winged contraband had taken Nellie at her word, and flown away on the journey home. Little Rob was put in a large cage 
where he could use his legs, yet not injure his lame wing. Forked tongue lay under a wire cover on sprigs of fennel, for the gardener said that snakes were fond of it. The babes in the wood were put to bed in one of the rush baskets under a cotton-wool coverlet. Greenback, the beetle, found ease for his unknown aches in the warm heart of a rose, where he sunned himself all day. The commodore was made happy in a tub of water, grass, and stones, and Mr. Fuzz was put in a well-ventilated glass box to decide whether he would be a cocoon or not. Tony had not been idle while his mistress was away, and he showed her the hospital garden he had made close by, in which were cabbage, nettle, and mignonette plants for the butterflies, flowering herbs for the bees, chickweed and hemp for the birds, catnip for the pussies, and plenty of room left for whatever other patients might need. In the afternoon, while Nellie did her task at lint-picking, talking busily to Will as she worked, and interesting him in her affairs, Tony cleared a pretty spot in the grove for the burying ground, and made ready some small bits of slate on which to write the names of those who died. He did not have it ready an hour too soon, for at sunset two little graves were needed, and Nurse Nellie shed tender tears for her first losses as she laid the motherless mice in one smooth hollow and the gray-coated rebel in the other. She had learned to care for him already, and when she found him dead, was very glad she had been kind to him, hoping that he knew it, and died happier in her hospital than all alone in the shadowy wood. The rest of Nellie's patients prospered, and of the many aided afterward, few died, because of Tony's skillful treatment and her own faithful care. Every morning, when the day proved fair, the little ambulance went out upon its charitable errand. Every afternoon, Nellie worked for the human sufferers whom she loved. And every evening, Brother Will read aloud to her from useful books, showed her wonders with his microscope, or prescribed remedies for the patients, whom he soon knew by name and took much interest in. It was Nellie's holiday, but... Though she studied no lessons, she learned much, and unconsciously made her pretty play both an example and a rebuke for others. At first, it seemed a childish pastime, and people laughed. But there was something in the familiar words sanitary, hospital, and ambulance that made them pleasant sounds to many ears. As reports of Nellie's work went through the neighborhood, other children came to see and copy her design. Rough lads looked ashamed when in her wards they found harmless creatures hurt by them, and going out they said among themselves, We won't stone birds, chase butterflies, and drown the girls' little cats any more, though we won't tell them so. And most of the lads kept their words so well that people said there never had been so many birds before as all that summer haunted wood and field. Tender-hearted playmates brought their pets to be cured. Even busy farmers had a friendly word for the small charity, 
which reminded them so sweetly of the Great One, which should never be forgotten. Lonely mothers sometimes looked out with wet eyes as the little ambulance went by, recalling thoughts or absent sons who might be journeying painfully to some far-off hospital, where brave women waited to tend them with hands as willing, hearts as tender, as those the gentle child gave to her self-appointed task. At home the charm worked also. No more idle days for Nellie, or fretful ones for Will, because the little sister would not neglect the helpless creatures so dependent upon her, and the big brother was ashamed to complain after watching the patience of these lesser sufferers, and merrily said he would try to bear his own wound as quietly and bravely as the Commodore bore his. Nellie never knew how much good she had done Captain Will, till he went away again in the early autumn. Then he thanked her for it, and though she cried for joy and sorrow, she never forgot it, because he left something behind him which always pleasantly reminded her of the double success her little hospital had won. When Will was gone, and she had prayed softly in her heart that God would keep him safe and bring him home again, she dried her tears and went away to find comfort in the place where he had spent so many happy hours with her. She had not been there before that day, and when she reached the door, she stood quite still and wanted very much to cry again, for something beautiful had happened. She had often asked Will for a motto for her hospital, and he had promised to find her one. She thought he had forgotten it, but even in the hurry of that busy day he had found time to do more than keep his word while Nellie sat indoors, lovingly brightening the tarnished buttons on his blue coat that had seen so many battles. Above the roof, where the doves cooed in the sun, now rustled a white flag with the golden S.C. shining on it as the wind tossed it to and fro. Below, on the smooth panel of the door, a skillful pencil had drawn two arching ferns, in whose soft shadow, poised upon a mushroom, stood a little figure of Nurse Nellie, and underneath it another of Dr. Tony bottling medicine, with spectacles upon his nose. Both hands of the miniature Nellie were outstretched, as if beckoning to a train of insects, birds, and beasts, which was so long that it not only circled round the lower rim of this fine sketch, but dwindled in the distance to mere dots and lines. Such merry conceits as one found there, a mouse bringing the tail it had lost in some cruel trap, a door-bug with a shade over its eyes, an invalid butterfly carried in a tiny litter by long-legged spiders, a fat frog with gouty feet hopping upon crutches, Jenny Wren sobbing in a nice handkerchief, as she brought dear dead cock robin to be restored to life. Rabbits, lambs, cats, calves, and turtles all came trooping up to be healed by the benevolent little maid who welcomed them so heartily. 
Nellie laughed at these comical mites till the tears ran down her cheeks and thought she never could be tired of looking at them. But presently she saw four lines clearly printed underneath her picture, and her childish face grew sweetly serious as she read the words of a great poet, which Will had made both compliment and motto. He prayeth best who loveth best all things both great and small, for the dear God who loveth us, he made them and loveth all. End of Nellie's Hospital by Louisa May Alcott